everyone. Welcome to Prayer and Praise, the podcast at National United Methodist Church, where we seek to make the love of God obvious. I am Reverend Dr. Rachel B. Livingston, but in my day-to-day life, many people just call me Pastor Rachel. I serve as one of the associate pastors and the pastor of congregational care here at National United Methodist Church. It's funny because I just had a conversation with my best friend about what I should be called. Should I be called Pastor Rachel? Should I be called Rachel? And it's just hilarious that we have to go through this. Shout out to Dr. Lori, who is my best friend. And we were having this conversation about what to call me because she just calls me Rachel because she knew me long before I had any titles and became Reverend Livingston or Minister Livingston or Pastor Rachel or the Reverend Dr. Rachel B. Livingston. She was there before I had any degrees at all. So she just calls me Rachel. But we were walking around and she was introducing me and she said, this is my friend Rachel. And then We thought about it and we were kind of like, "Mm, but I have some titles. So for me, the title is really a cultural thing. If you remember back when we did our discussion with Miss Belva, we talked about how titles themselves have been cultural because in the black community, titles are often pretty important. Uh, One, because we've worked hard for our titles and received a lot and have uh, gone through quite a lot of struggles and oppression just to get those titles. But also the titles tend to be important because in this world, we are often devalued for just the skin that we're in. And claiming those titles are a way of commanding respect and dignity. So yes, the titles are a part of my story, but either way, I'm Pastor Rachel. Formally, if you're putting my name in a program or something like that, I like to be called Reverend Dr. Rachel B. Livingston because it acknowledges all the parts of me. Uh, But in conversation, you can just call me Pastor Rachel or Reverend Rachel. It all works just fine. But that's not what our story is about today. That's not what our show is about. But I thought it was an interesting point of conversation. We welcome you into this place, into this moment of prayer and praise at National United Methodist Church, where we seek to make the love of God obvious. We like to make sure that people feel included and that people feel like Jesus Christ is right there with them, loving on them and loving them for who they are, just the way they are, no matter how you identify and no matter where you live or where you come from. So we want to make sure that you feel the love of Jesus Christ. We are trying to create this thing called Beloved Community, and I hope that we are successful. We don't always get it right, but we sure try. So here at Prayer and Praise, we share faith stories on the journey of life where you can see that God is at work in the lives of human beings. We see people who have maneuvered this faith journey that we can see similarities with them and know that God is with them and God is with us. Faith is not easy, but we aren't alone. We have a whole host of people with us in the body of Christ and God is with us. This week, our guest is Judge Kevin McKeever. He's one of our members that greets us from long distance as he lives in Iowa. But we are thankful for him for sharing his time, his talents, and his stories with us. He's one of our main planners of prayer and praise on Wednesday nights, and we are so thankful for his leadership within our church. The way we do church has dramatically changed over time, and Judge McKeever is proof of that because he can be present even though he doesn't live in D.C. Judge McKeever shared a meditation with us about forgiveness and how we cannot let hatred or anger take over our lives. It is important that we never allow our need for revenge or anger to take our lives hostage and keep us shackled. 
Sometimes we have to release the chains and embrace the joys of life right in front of us. Stories are the gifts of this podcast, and I'm so eager to share the story with you as we listen to Judge Kevin McKeever's story, because we can see the movement of God in the threads of each story. So let's get into it. We will start how we always do. We'll start with scripture and then our meditation, and then we'll get into the nitty gritty of deep conversation with Judge Kevin McKeever. Here this evening, the word of God from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17, and Psalm 51, verses 1 through 17. And I will begin with Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my savior and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. And now we will hear from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has given me strength because he considered me faithful. So he appointed me to ministry, even though I used to speak against him, attack his people, and I was proud. But I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and without faith. Our Lord's favor poured all over me, along with the faithfulness and love that are in Jesus Christ. This saying is reliable and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the biggest sinner of all. But this is why I was shown mercy so that Jesus Christ could show his endless patience to me, first of all. So I'm an example for those who are going to believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king of the ages, to the immortal, invisible, and only God, may honor and glory be given to him forever and always. Amen. Thanks be to God. Thank you.
Thank you, Rita. I think I'm I'm up now. I um, have been looking forward to to sharing um, today. I um, know most of you fairly well. We've been meeting here on Zoom for about two and a half years now, I think at least. And I've been out to see you guys in person a couple of times. I hope to come out again soon. Um, most of you know that uh, I, in my former life, um, so to speak, I, I don't mean a former actual life, but earlier in the life that I am now living, um, in my 20s, that is, um, I was an officer in the United States Navy. And I want to tell a story about Kevin at that time in his life that relates to forgiveness. And um, somewhat coincidentally, it was about half a lifetime ago. I just realized that when I looked at the fact that I was either 26 or 27 years old when this happened, which, well, I don't know. <laughs> it was some time ago. Um, the year was 1996. I was 27 years old and I was living in Portsmouth, Rhode Island. Um, I was just beginning my duties as an instructor at the uh, United States Navy's Surface Warfare School in Newport, Rhode Island. And to kind of paint the picture a little bit about what my life was like, my daily work life, um, at work there were probably 30 or 40 of us who were instructors. We taught typically somewhere between 150 and 300 students uh, that were in the building at any one particular time. Each student group, each classroom group consisted of approximately 25 to 27 students. And there were a number of classrooms on uh, all three floors of the building. Um, we had a place that instructors congregated uh, called the Instructor Bay. That's what we called it. I'm not sure why. But it was a place that was, you can sort of picture it a little bit. It was spread out across um, probably 60 feet or so. There were a number of cubicles, uh, desks. Um, there were supplies, supply cabinets. There were a number of file cabinets. And um, it was there that I met a guy by the name of Glenn Leverett. He was around my age, around my experience level in the Navy. I think both of us had been um, officers in the Navy for somewhere between five or six years. We had both been to sea. Uh, we started our, our jobs there at Surface Warfare School at around the same time, and we became friends. And uh, one of the, the standard practices uh, of instructors back in the mid to late 90s in this particular institution was we would sit around and drink our morning coffee and talk about various things. We'd share uh, stories of how we'd been deployed in various places in the world. And uh, we'd sometimes prepare our lectures. Uh, we would sometimes read books um, that would help us to, you know, um, understand a little bit more completely our um, responsibilities as naval officers and give us some information about how to better teach our classes. Um, but I wanna talk a little bit about the, the part where we're sharing uh, stories, uh, work stories. And I remember on one uh, particular morning, um, I was talking to Glenn, whose desk was very close to mine. And I was telling him about a guy who I was really, really angry with. Um, and I was angry with this person because at a previous duty station, he did something to me that I didn't like. I don't remember what it is at this. To, uh, today, I, I cannot remember what, what it was. And I remember Glenn and I were talking. Um, and I was sharing how angry I was at this particular person. And I remember telling Glenn, I said, you know, so I'm going to get even with this guy one day, and I don't care how long it takes, uh, but I'm going to find a way to, to, to settle the score with him. And I remember Glenn, you know, Glenn was, um, if you ever met him, he was 
he wasn't very tall, but he was uh, really kind of one of those tough people that was always sort of, uh, well, you'd see him in the gym lifting weights all the time. And, you know, you'd say good morning to him. He'd kind of grunt at you before you'd have his coffee. He wasn't exactly the most um, sensitive guy you could ever meet. <laughs> but in this particular case, when I shared this story with him, I remember he paused, he kind of looked down and then he looked at me and he said, you know, Kevin, he said, look, man, I remember him saying, look, man, I don't remember the exact words he used. He said, but he said, you know, you need to hand that over to God because you'll be better off in the long run. And I remember when he first said that to me, I was kind of surprised because, um, well, I just was surprised that Glenn would say such a thing, but I, it kind of caught me off guard. And my first reaction was one of frustration because I was explaining to Glenn, my friend, the guy that we you know, shared stories with, we prepared for our classes together. We went through our little instructor training class. You have to go through a training class before they'll let you teach officers. Um, and, and so I, we had bonded. And so I was, I was kind of surprised and frustrated. And in my mind, I was thinking to myself, that's not fair. It's not fair for me to let this other guy off the hook. It's not fair that they got to do something to me and I then have to forgive them and I don't get to do something to them. And this is what I was thinking. I was thinking, you know, and I think that this, this sense of fairness that we, we have as humans is kind of baked into our DNA for lack of a better explanation. There's something that we don't like, particularly in our culture about someone doing something wrong and getting away with it. If we look at all of our uh, all of our Saturday morning cartoons, the bad guy always gets it in the end. And most of our movies, if there's someone bad, someone good, and the bad guy gets what they deserve. But um, here, I was being told, well, someone had done something that I I clearly thought was bad, and I don't get to even the score. I don't get to get this person to pay for what they had done because I did feel that it was unjustified what was done to me and I thought it was only fair that something happened to this other person. And as I have listened to the other stories uh, and the other meditations over the weeks and some of the things in the scriptures resonate with me and talk about this a little bit and I won't go through all of it. I, I know that we've, we've been through it a few times uh, over the last month, but this idea of justice, this idea of, um, you know, having to uh, deal with, with judgment that's passed, you know, there's a lot in here about being accountable for what has happened and having to atone for what we've done wrong. And I think this was the part, this was the part that I didn't understand when Glenn told me this. I'm like, so why does someone get to do something wrong to me and nothing happens to them? And I, um, I left that conversation, as I mentioned, a little bit frustrated, but I couldn't get it out of my head that he had said that I would be better off if I gave it over to God, that I would be better off if I forgave this other person. And I was thinking to myself, I don't see how I'm going to be better off. Now somebody did something bad to me and they get to get away with it. How am I better off? I didn't understand that. Well, anyway, I thought more about it. And um, as time went on towards the week, I, um, I decided that maybe Glenn was right, that maybe this anger that I was carrying inside me was not doing me any good and certainly wasn't doing anybody else any good. And that this frustration and this, you know, resentment that I felt really was not healthy. And so um, Sunday rolled around and there was altar call, call at the, the church I was attending back then. Um, and I recall going up and praying that um, I could find it in my heart to forgive this person. And the odd thing is, like I mentioned at the beginning of the talk, 
I don't remember to this day what this person did to me, which is really interesting, isn't it? I don't know what it was, but whatever it was, I remember, I remembered at the time. I remember praying and I remember asking for the strength and the compassion and the wisdom and the understanding to go through with the forgiveness process. And I remember being sincere about that in my mind and in my heart to really want to try to do this, to let go of all this. And I recall afterward feeling like I was lighter. I, it was almost as if, and that's the best way I can explain it, feeling like I was just lighter in my heart, that I didn't have that anger, that I was free of that um, resentment, that I was free of that feeling of someone did something to me and therefore I'm going to do something to them back. And I remember going back to Glenn and I said to him that Monday, I said, you know, I, I told him, I said, look, man, I'm, I have to admit, I wasn't happy with what you told me, but I realized that you were right. And I also realized that what you were trying to, when, when we first had the conversation, I had the impression you were trying to save this other person from me, but really you were trying to save me from myself. And that was what I, I didn't understand that in forgiving this other person, I wasn't making that other person's life better, or maybe I was, I don't know. And it's not that I didn't want to make his life better. I have, I have to, I didn't at the time. <laughs> Looking back on it, I probably should have considered his life too. But at the time I was really angry with this person, but the reality is that I was, and I selected that song, Break Every Chain. I was chained, I was shackled to anger. I was shackled to resentment. I was shackled to um, the, well, the hatred that I felt towards another person because of something that they did to me. And looking back on it, I don't even know if they realized that they had done something to me. You know, that's the thing about these things is that if they go and they fester and they're not talked about and they're not reflected on, we don't really know for sure what someone else does something for. And we sometimes assume things. Maybe I did. I don't know. But one of the beauties of being able to truly forgive in my heart was the beauty of being able to find the light again. And I want to talk about finding the light again in the context of one scripture that was a little bit outside of what we've been talking about. But I thought it was really relevant because I think that sometimes when we don't forgive, we can become lost in the darkness. And this is 1 John 2, um, 10 and 11. It says, um, whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the light. And in such a person, there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates another believer is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know the way to go because the darkness has brought on blindness. And I, in that situation, was blinded by my anger and my feeling that someone had done something unfair to me. And when I was able to truly find it in my heart to forgive, it, tr it made me feel as if a weight had been lifted off of my shoulders, not to sound too cliche, but it really did feel like a burden that I was shackled to was, was no longer with me. My chains of resentment had been broken. My chains of anger had been broken. And that allowed my spirit to be free from being lost in the darkness. And that was something that I didn't even realize. I didn't realize I was, I was, I had all these feelings until I went through the process of forgiving this person. So I guess um, in closing, I'd like to talk about the fact that um, not only was my heart freed and no longer imprisoned by anger and resentment and that I was free, I was truly free from any sort of feelings I had about this. And as I said, honestly, sitting here today, I have no idea what the guy did. Um, and I think that's the beauty of forgiveness because when we truly forgive, we can be free 
and free in a way that looking back on these things, you not only are not impacted and imprisoned by these feelings, but you don't even remember why you had the feelings in the first place. And you can just be happy to be free. So it's my prayer that if there's anything that is shackling to you, you to anger, to resentment, to hatred, to some sort of feeling that someone has done something unfair to you, I pray that you would be able to find your way back to the light by forgiving that other person, because you'll find that that will truly enhance your spirit and your heart. And that is my meditation for today. Thank you for listening. So we're here at Prayer and Praise, and we are with our meditator of the day, which is Judge Kevin McKeever. And we like to ask each of our guests who they are, uh, what they do, whatever they would like to share, whatever you would like to share. Judge McKeever is great. If you want to share a lot or share a little, it's all up to you. Okay. Um, well, thank you, and thank you for having me. I will just share a little bit about uh, where I've lived and what I've done over the past, oh, I don't know, I'm 53 years old, so let's just go with the last 25 years. So when I graduated from college, okay, I guess that was 30 years ago, I graduated from college, I received a commission in the United States Navy, lived in California for five years, and I was transferred to um, Rhode Island. I lived in Rhode Island for two years. I went to law school between 1998 and 1991, worked in Minnesota for approximately six and a half years. And then I came back to Iowa in 2007 with my family. And I have been here ever since. I worked for several years as an attorney here in Iowa. And then I was appointed to become a district court judge in 2015. I found my way to national church. A friend indicated during the pandemic that you had some Zoom services. And so I decided to Zoom in and I've been attending ever since. Well, we welcome you. It's good to have a member that's maybe not so close, but also tunes in and kind of works with us. So it's been a joy to have you. So thank you. Your meditation talked a lot about forgiveness and you kind of went back into your Navy days when you were younger and you talked a lot about an incident that happened where you were talking to your friend Glenn about how mad you were at a specific individual. And so I'm going to ask maybe the first question of what advice might you give to your younger self who was angry at that moment? What advice might you give your younger self about faith or even forgiveness in this instance? Well, what's interesting is, uh, so the, the guy that I mentioned, his name is Glenn Leverett, and he was an instructor at Surface Warfare School, and he also was a preacher. And so he, uh, it's interesting because he and I became friends, I think, maybe a month or so after I started working there. And so we would share stories uh, quite a lot. But when I shared this story with him, I think he actually gave me the perfect advice at the time, which was that this anger that I was feeling was not good either for me or for anyone else. And that the way that he would recommend dealing with it would be to hand it over to God. And I think that's the advice I would actually give to my younger self. I think that was probably very good advice. The only thing I would be able to add to the equation that Glenn was not able to add at the time would be how much better my mental state and my spirit were after I managed to forgive the other person. And so I would be able to share that with my younger self because I actually experienced it. So what does, what does giving it over to God look like to you? Well, and it's it's interesting the way you phrase the question because it can look different for different people. In my particular case, mm -hmm. what that looked like was going to church and intentionally thinking about what the person had done that had upset me so much and then making a conscious decision to pray a prayer that involved me indicating to God that I was angry about something and indicating that I was going to intentionally forgive the person 
and asking for God's help in doing those things. And so that's what it looked like for me. So I guess maybe a follow-up to that is, because you were talking a little bit about how it changed your life afterwards or that Glenn couldn't necessarily speak to how your life would be changed when you let it go and gave it over to God. But how did your life change? Maybe in the long run, but also in the short run, how did it change when you gave it over to God? And so that's the thing about forgiveness. Forgiveness is something that if you are truly going to forgive, in my view, it's not an exercise where the the analogy I usually use when I'm talking to people about this is it's not the situation that you have when your brother and your sister are fighting about something and you're the older sibling and you say, okay, tell them you're sorry. And you cross your arms, all right, I'm sorry. Well, that's not forgiveness. That just means that as soon as my older brother leaves, I'm going to clobber you again. (laughs) Forgiveness means that you are actually going to forget about what someone has done or something that has happened to the point where it no longer has an impact on you. And the only way you can do that is if you truly get to the point where what that person did to you no longer is something that is important to you, no longer makes you angry, no longer burdens you because you're you're no longer thinking about what it is that this person should get in return for what mm-hmm. they did to you because you have actually forgiven. And um, from what I understand about the Bible, uh, and it was interesting because I was talking to someone else about this too. It's like, could you imagine if the kind of uh, forgiveness that Jesus provided was the same kind of forgiveness that we provide to other people? We we forgive them, but then we bring it up three or four years later saying, well, you did this to me in 1995, so that means you owe me whatever. That's yeah. not really forgiveness. That just means you're not going to bother them about it for three years. Forgiveness yeah. means it's done. <laughs> so, And that's why the burden really does lift from you, because it doesn't have an impact on you. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting how you said in your meditation that you had at this point, you don't even remember what the person had done to, <laughs> done to you anymore. And that's kind of how you have defined forgiveness in terms of forgetting. I'll say maybe pl- a little bit playing devil's advocate. I wrestle a little bit with forgetting fully. I think I can come to the point where I won't hold it over people's heads and I will let it go. But I think sometimes I I find it a little bit scary to let it or let it go to the point of forgetting because I I think it opens us up to possibilities of, I don't want to say it happening again, but in instances of maybe abuse or harm, um, sometimes it opens us up again to being harmed once again. So I a little bit have a hard time with forgetting fully, but (laughs) maybe, (laughs) and maybe that's just me. But maybe you could talk us a little bit through like what that process might look like in terms of forgiveness, because I agree with you that we shouldn't be holding it over people's heads and waiting to, you know, bring it back up three years later. I mean, if I really forgive, I'm three years later, I'm I can't bring it up again. But I also want to know, you know, maybe what happened. Well, it's a good point that you make and I and I do think that there there needs to be a contemplation in one's own analysis about whether or not forgetting completely is going to somehow put them in a situation where they could be harmed again because I mm-hmm. don't think that we should do that. But I also think so um part of it of course depends on the nature of the relationship with the person. If it's a close friend or family member that you're likely to see again, it's especially important to have a recollection of the event or at least have a recollection of how you are going to keep yourself safe around this other individual, which is Mm -hmm. different than being angry about it the whole time. So Mm -hmm. as an example, if you get a ride home, this is just throwing this out there. If you get a ride home from your drunk uncle and before you get out of the car he punches you in the face and then you forgive your uncle for that that doesn't mean at the next party you let your uncle drive you home (laughs) he's they say hey you want to ride home no i i'm getting a ride home with somebody else but thank Mm -hmm. you for offering because you know that the person in that situation is not necessarily someone who you can 
trust to do what they should do to keep you safe. So those are really two different things. But mm. if you if you say, okay, I forgive you for what happened, that doesn't mean you have to trust in that person that it won't happen again. You, mm. So those are those to me, those are two different things. But I think definitely it is important when one is in any kind of danger that they take the appropriate steps to keep themselves safe. But if, you know, at, on, at the same time, if I'm still angry at my uncle 10 years later, then I haven't forgiven him. Yeah. Well, and I, I think it also brings up a good point because sometimes we think of forgiveness as conditional or that the person is coming to repent. And I think in your situation, I don't think that the person repented. I'm not even sure if they knew what what they did wrong, but maybe you could work uh, walk us through what it looks like to forgive someone when they're not necessarily coming to repent because, and I think that's a little bit what you kind of brought up because we can't always guarantee that that person is going to stop what they, they're doing or that they even feel sorry about what they're doing. But if we don't let it go, it then eats up at us. So what does it look like for us to even let go or forgive someone, even if they're not repentant of what they have done in our lives or to us? Yeah. So it does make the forgiveness a little bit more complicated when we look at it in the context where it's defined in the Bible, of course, where there is an act of repentance and then there is an act of forgiveness. But when the act of repentance is absent from the equation, perhaps it is not completely accurate to say that there was forgiveness in the entire situation. But there can be an act of forgiveness on the part of the person who was wronged because it is a choice to make the step to say, this person, back to the uncle part, this the uncle punched me in the face. My uncle, by, by the way, has never punched me in the face, but let's just, <laughs> this is a hypothetical. So the uncle punched me in the face mm-hmm. and it hurt, but I am no longer going to hold that act against my uncle, mm-hmm. even though he never apologized or indicated that he would try not to do it again. And so that part of the forgiveness equation can exist um, even without the act of repentance. And I guess in the purest sense of the definition of forgiveness, maybe it's not purely forgiveness, but it is a step that's taken towards forgiveness by one of the two parties, I guess. Yeah. So this may go down the same track. It may be a little bit veering off to the left, but I know that when you gave your meditation, you gave the statement that, I mean, I think when Glenn told you to like, give it to God, you were like, but they deserve to pay, <laughs> pay for it. Um, and you're a man of justice. You, you're a judge out in Iowa. What does it, <laughs> I mean, sometimes we want people to pay for what they've done or the wrongdoing that they've done. Um, and sometimes that's a hard balance that we have because people should have consequences for some of their wrongdoings. But what do we as people of faith, because Jesus kind of tells us to kind of turn the other cheek. Now that's not easily translated. That's not easy. That's all often taken out of context. However, we're still supposed to love. And sometimes there will be people around us who don't get what they deserve. And how do we reconcile that? What does that mean? And what does that even mean for how we envision justice maybe? Yeah. I mean, so that's that there, there's a lot, there really is a lot to that question. Um, So to kind of take things, I guess, in a couple of steps. So the first part of that is, let's say I'm the person who's harmed and the other person never has any consequences for what they have done, which happens both in our personal relationships and in uh, society, right? So not every burglar is caught. Not every person who assaults someone is, is arrested. And even when they are, sometimes the feeling is that the crime that they, that they have committed against society generally and against the person is not adequately punished in the justice system. So that's another part of it. Sometimes some people feel that people get too much punishment for what they did. So there, there's 
there's a lot to consider. What I think um, is true, though, is that when an individual makes the choice to forgive an act that is done against them, that does not mean that they do not have any interest necessarily, for example, in participating in the legal process, which is a different question. And so you can be, you know, and, and in fact, I've seen this both as a judge and as a lawyer where someone has done something and then there has been some forgiveness. Sometimes the parties would even agree to meet and, and work through these problems. But that doesn't mean, for example, in the case of the, one of the cases I'm thinking there was an assault uh, that happened, but that doesn't mean that there are no consequences. So the person had to do, you know, uh, whatever, I think 200 hours of community service. And, you know, in, in addition to all the other things that, that happen. And so there are a couple of different layers in this. One is what do we believe as people of faith? And if we believe that the appropriate step to take is to get ourselves to a place where we no longer hold a grudge against the other person, we no longer want to well feel anger or we no longer will derive satisfaction from some harm coming to that other individual, then that I think is a good step for us to take. Now, apart from that, depending on what the person did, they may have to also answer to the justice system, which is a different entity. So they come to see me, I'm a judge, and regardless of what my personal feelings are, I have laws that need to be enforced and punishments mm. that need to be imposed according to the law because the, that is the agreement that we have in our society. That is the set mm. of rules that we're going we're gonna to live by. And so I think that there's that layer. And then there's also the what I call the societal interest layer, which we usually see through the lens of a TV camera. So mm. let's say that, that this assault took place at some big event and was captured on camera and the news people are talking about it. And then you have 50 people posting on their blogs saying that this person should get 10 years in prison, even if the crime only calls for two years, you know? And so there's that aspect of it as well. So there are, so, so I guess in my view, it really boils down to three different analyses. What does this situation mean for individuals of faith, uh, which we are, what does it mean to the, responsibilities of the justice system and the elected officials who are doing the prosecution work and the defense work. And then also, what does it mean for society, which back in the day was you'd pick up the newspaper and see what that said. Now you just go to whatever social media platform is popular this year. I think uh -huh. it's Twitter or some, no, not Twitter. What's the one with TikTok? Everybody's looking okay, at TikTok yeah. these days. I don't know. I don't. I don't really watch them very much. <laughs> I think <laughs> last year it was Instagram. Who knows what'll be next year? So <laughs> it'll be something else. <laughs> so you also one of the things you said in your meditation was that Glenn was trying to save Kevin from himself. Um, I think what was happening inside of you was maybe the anger getting the best of you. But could you explain maybe what? might have been internally happening and what what it means to be saved from that yeah so i think what happens is we place an importance on getting even with someone because our society in many of our subcultures says that if you know somebody hits you you hit them back if somebody mm -hmm. pushes you push them back you don't let anyone get away with something because then they'll think they can get away with whatever they do to you. So, you know, somebody punches you in the face, you punch them in the face and the same, you know, so yeah. that's, we, we kind of have this societal component baked into how we're supposed to view things. So someone mm -hmm. talks about us, we're supposed to talk about them. Someone does something to us. We don't let that go. We get them back so that they know that you're not going to let them push them, you around. And I think what can happen is, if we focus on that too much, it can take over many aspects of our our lives. You're sitting there and it's you know eating lunch, and instead of eating enjoying your cheeseburger, you're thinking about what you're going to do to get back at this other person. And instead yeah. of just taking 
the moment to enjoy what you do have, you're consuming your time and your energy and your thought process about how things won't be okay until you get this person back. And what forgiveness does is it gets you to a place where you realize that you don't have to get this person back to move on with your life and enjoy your, you know, your life in every moment. And every moment is precious. Every moment that you spend being angry about what it is that they did to you is a moment that they're not, you're not spending being joyful about what, what you do have in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so it takes away from some of the valuable time. And we're not creatures that we don't live forever in this form. We all have a finite number of minutes. And the minutes that you waste being angry are not, are are precious. Those are precious times. And so forgiveness allows you to retrieve those minutes. And I I mentioned, uh, or maybe you're going to ask me about the shackle thing, but I, do you mind if I go into that now? You can go ahead and and start. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So being shackled means that you are essentially enslaved to this anger and this Mm -hmm. resentment and in some cases, hatred. And as you are shackled to those things, you are not free to experience love and joy and calmness and peacefulness. For every moment that you're angry, you're not feeling the kind of love and peacefulness for every moment that you have this hatred, then you're not enjoying those moments uh, that you, that, that we have been given. And so that moment is lost. And so you are kind of enslaved when you're shackled to that. And when you break free, then you can have your joy back and your love and peace in your life. Yeah. I, I really love the way that you kind of maybe paired that with holding on to your anger, being a place of being chained, um, especially because I think, well, this may be kind of a side note, but I think kind of stepping into this year, I've been trying to make sure I enjoy the moments that I have and taking the time to even like, as you were talking about, you know, eating your burger, but you're holding on to this anger. I'm kind of like, yes, I want to sit and enjoy the burger, enjoy the taste of the burger. But when we're focusing on other things, specifically anger and holding on to certain grudges, we can't focus on those things. So I really appreciate the imagery that you use for that, because it does kind of chain us to not being able to live life. Um, But what does it look like? Maybe what does it look like to live in the freedom of forgiveness and to break those types of chains? Yeah. So as the the opposite of being shackled is being free, as you as you mentioned in your question. And when you are free of the anger, the hatred, the resentment, the plotting revenge, (laughs) then all of those moments can be reclaimed and it's essentially a way to reclaim part of your life because now you will never lose once you have that forgiveness once you have given forgiveness and it's really you're giving it but the gift you get is you no longer lose another second another minute another hour to this kind of anger and resentment and so what happens is the the hours that you spend feeling that are hours that are stolen from you. And the freedom from that is the fact that no longer will those feelings steal any of your life from you. When you forgive, then you get to the place where you now do not have to be robbed of another minute of your life because of this feeling of anger towards this other person. So your meditation specifically kind of focused on one specific thing, but I'm sure over the years you have also released many different things in continually forgiving people. But what do you, or what have you seen in your life evolve or come out of you stepping into this area of freedom where you break the chains of hatred in forgiveness where have you kind of seen it and what gifts have you gotten from it over the years well i would say that i the one of the gifts i have been given is that i have very few moments 
of my life stolen from me because after this experience, I realized how little sense it made for me to have these feelings of anger and resentment towards others. And I'm not saying I've never been angry at anyone, but I will say that the lesson of how freeing it is to truly forgive someone helps, at least it helped me to realize how important it is to recognize when those things are happening and maybe not even get to the point where you have those feelings. But if you do have them, to forgive more quickly as opposed to holding on to those feelings. And the 20-year-old me would, would, would say, but wait a minute, we have to get this other person back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to your earlier question about ensuring that we protect ourselves from possible abuse, just because I don't get the person back doesn't mean I'll let them, let's say it's stealing, let them steal from me over and over and over again. I'm still Uh going to report it to the police and I'm not going to loan them money for any of their schemes anymore, but I'm not angry with them. I don't need to get them back. And Mm -hmm. so that's the real freedom of the whole thing. And I think learning that early at a what I now consider to be a fairly young age <laughs> at the time I didn't think so um has truly helped me to have some tools in my life and you know and quite frankly to turn over things to God you know we that's something that I think people of faith sometimes forget to do we we have this idea that we've got all these things we're going to do we're going to handle it ourselves And I'm not saying that we shouldn't work hard and try to do the best we can, but I think we should remember that we're not alone. So that was the other really important lesson. I think I knew that earlier in life, but this was a really good reminder of it at that stage. So the question I have is, I mean, prayer and praise is kind of our opportunity to share our stories with other people so that they can kind of identify certain things within themselves and be drawn to faith through it. So How might you identify someone who is one shackled to their anger and maybe resentment? And then after you identify what that is, what might be some of your advice on how to work through that and how to move on this journey of faith out of being shackled to being in a place of freedom. Yeah. So I guess, you know, it's interesting because I, my initial reaction when Glenn told me that I should turn this over to God was not, I didn't immediately agree with him, (laughs) even (laughs) though I knew that, that he was right. When he first said, I I knew he was right, but I was like, no, wait a minute. You're supposed to tell me that I'm right and that we're going to get this guy no matter what. Yeah. Um, but the thing is that he, we wouldn't have been able to have that conversation had we not had the bonds of friendship. And mm-hmm. I would say that having forming those forming real bonds of friendship with people, so that when you do recognize that they're in need for whatever reason, that they can, there'll be people who will listen to you and hear you out, even when they tell uh-huh. you things that you don't want to hear. It's it's easy to to give people advice when they want it. The the hard thing is to give them advice when they don't want it. But I think one of the things that we can do for our uh, brothers and sisters who share time with us and worship with us, et cetera, and those who who don't uh, even, is to form real bonds with them um, so that when they say, hey, Kevin, what do you think I should do about that guy who I'm angry at? they will they will listen to me when i say well first of all don't go over there and punch him in the face mm-hmm. let's let's talk about it let's talk through it and mm-hmm. there is a component of okay if this person might actually harm you then there are some steps you need to take to protect yourself but one of them isn't to plot revenge against them because that's True. not going to be helpful to anyone mm-hmm. either them or you so mm-hmm. and but yeah but i think the key to it all is when we want to approach people and we want to give them some advice about how to handle these difficult situations, being willing to truly invest the time and having that bond is the key to being able to have that, have that advice uh, be listened to. So. 
Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed our interview, but I may give you the last question of what are the, is there anything you want to share about maybe your faith journey or even forgiveness as a whole and how you continue to push on in this faith journey of your own? Well, I guess let me, I'll share just a little bit about it, uh, my faith journey, and then uh, final thought on forgiveness. So I will say that uh, my first faith journey began fairly early in life. My mom was actually my fifth grade Sunday school teacher, if you can picture how that went for me. (laughs) I know that story. It's okay. (laughs) So, um, and I started regularly attending church, Sunday school and, and church, not the children's church at around, I think I was probably 12 when I started going to the sanctuary and I mm-hmm. told my mom I was too big for the children's time, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was, so my faith journey goes back to fairly early in life. And I recall three scriptures really standing out for me, especially like in junior high, high school. And those are love God with all your heart, um, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. These aren't the whole scriptures, but, but the uh, third one that talks about getting the plank out of your own eye before you get the speck out of someone else's eye. Yep. And I have tried to, of course, I'm human, so I make a lot of mistakes along the way, but I've tried to we all live, do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> live kind of according to those scriptures. And in terms of the my final thoughts on forgiveness, I would say that forgiveness might not be something you initially want to do if you're, especially if you're angry, but I can tell you from personal experience, that forgiveness can change your life uh, and make your life unshackled to the burdens of anger and hatred in a way that you won't believe unless you actually do it. And so if you're contemplating forgiving someone, I would recommend that you do it. I guess that's my final thought on forgiveness. Forgiveness can change your life. Well, thank you for sharing. All right, great. Thank you so much. to thank Judge Kevin McKeever for sharing his story of forgiveness and breaking the chains of revenge that hang heavy on us. I loved how he talked about when we cannot let go and just forgive, sometimes we're more focused on getting revenge rather than enjoying the burger right in front of us. I specifically connected so much with that because sometimes we forget to embrace what's right in front of us. We forget to feel the joy and the tastes and the smells and embrace the moment. And when we don't release our pain, judgment and resentment can block the moment and we don't see what's right in front of us. So I encourage you, beloved, to take the time to embrace each moment, release the change that might be binding you. We also talked a little bit about the difference between forgiveness and leaving ourselves open for abuse because sometimes that's that's what makes forgiveness difficult because I specifically don't believe that God wants our abuse. I think that that's what makes forgiveness complicated sometimes because we can break the chains where we forget and let it go to where it no longer binds us. But we also need to be okay sometimes with letting people go even when we forgive them. So that's a little bit what makes it complicated. But we also have to learn to forgive sometimes when the understanding is that people may not get what we think they quote unquote deserve. And we also have to learn to forgive even if the person is not repentant. And the reality is that our forgiveness allows us to let it go and return to our joy because what they have done should never steal our joy. So love and forgive beloved love and forgive. I want to thank you, Kevin, for sharing your witness and your challenge to us to transform our lives in forgiveness. You all know what time it is. You all can catch us anywhere that we are online. You can catch us at www.nationalchurch.org. 
where you can find our 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. services streaming right there. Or you can catch us on Facebook at National United Methodist Church. You can catch us on TikTok at National Church DC. And you can catch us at on Instagram at National UMC DC. Join us for prayer and praise on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. You can go to www.nationalchurch.org slash prayer and praise. There is a button there that you can click on and it will go straight to our online Zoom service and you can join us live as we are gathering for our actual worship service. And remember, we at National United Methodist Church seek to make the love of God obvious. So let your story be a lived out prayer and let your witness be a praise to God. So I'm gonna close this out the way we always do and let the person who gave us a meditation give us the benediction. I hand it over to Judge Kevin McKeever to close us out. Peace and blessings, y'all. Thank you everyone for joining this evening. Please go in peace and go knowing that God is with us and that we can be forgiven and we can forgive others and we can be unshackled to any of those things that would burden our hearts or our spirits. Please go in peace everyone and thank you for being here.